Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, Nuclear Boots, Wessenheimer Brainstorm, Shaking Like Tremolo, and you just sit back and allow us to brush your rock and roll hair. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. It is 1978. Frat boys are gatoring because Animal House is one of the top films at the theater. Girls are singing into their brushes. Because Grease is the number one movie in the theater. The number one album in the land is torturing all rock and roll loving Americans. It is Saturday Night Fever. The band we're going to listen to tonight lost the Grammy to A Taste of Honey. (laughs) Tonight, gentlemen, we're covering The Cars, one of the most remarkable debut albums ever Uh, a lot of people call this car's greatest hits even though it's not the car's greatest hits because when you look at the songs that are on this album it seems like a greatest hits album why is this album so good guys well it's it's funny you mentioned i think the band actually refers to this as the car's greatest hits uh well is it? I'm going to ask you guys a question. Is it an understatement to say that this band may have been one of the most important mainstream bands of the late '70s, early '80s, in terms of just what they represented? Uh, I mean, this band helped define new wave, or at least helped bring it into the mainstream in a way that no other band did. I mean, they, you know, Blondie flirted with it, but then went straight and embraced disco at a time when disco was hot. Um, Devo was too weird. The Talking Heads were weren't weren't close to being the stars they were going to end up being plus um outside of another uh you know another um band out of boston uh this this album uh like that album debut by boston uh almost every song got radio play at some point even the ones that aren't that well known i think were played on a and r radio aor radio um so uh i'm a millennial and yeah. everything I've listened to in my whole life has come off my uh, iPhone. What is AOR radio? Album oriented rock. It was, and a, this is um, album oriented podcasting. <laughs> AOP. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know what so- you said, Tony, is right about this band. This band had enormous influence when it came out. Everybody was walking around going, "What is that? What is that? What is that?" It was yeah. immediately accessible. It was it had it's a great pop album and nobody knew what it was. And those guys weren't even it seemed like they weren't even trying. They're just sitting there going about their business and they're changing rock and roll for the 80s. And then they sort of took over MTV and did things nobody had done on MTV before. That's not it. That is not a compliment to MTV. It's a compliment to the cars. <laughs> I just want that to be clear. So um, this is this is a a crazy good good album. What kind of music is it, and what's going on? Okay, I'm gonna call it new wave, but I'm gonna call it like the soft edge of new wave, the pop version of new wave. Do you know what we're gonna call it? What Tony? What are you gonna call it? Go ahead, Tony. Come on, Uh, Tony. 
No, it's uh, you want me to say power pop? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and define power pop too while you're at it. Well, we're about five podcasts late defining that term. Yeah, I think we did it earlier, but it may not have been. It may have been way early where we didn't talk about, uh, or where we haven't actually when we were getting our feet wet. And, get that into the Jerry Jeff. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I don't think I put in the Jerry Jeff one. Well, it was, it was, uh, it's been attributed to Pete Townsend. Um, uh, coining that phrase and what he said when he's talking about the who was a band that played pop music but had the you know the power of loud guitars crunchy guitars banging drums and it just it's 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 a uh, pop music with an attitude and with an edge to it uh it's been refined to mean something different than that, i think by most people that are fans of it probably attribute it to the beatles being more of an influence than anything else lush harmonies really tuneful uh, songs, jangly guitars, bright, bright, bright music. Um, and then, you know, as, as it was moving towards the seventies into the eighties, um, it started becoming associated with what, you know, for lack of a term, skinny tie bands and the cars, I think could fit into that pretty well. Um, no question. I mean, this, this album, this album's much, I think this album's much more guitar oriented than most of their other stuff. That's not to say that, that there's other stuff yeah. isn't guitar oriented, but this album seems to me to be, much just more guitar oriented guitar oriented than their other stuff which i think lee lends it to that feel that feeling of it having that power pop sound um right you know i think this is the first kind of pop album where the synthesizer is used uh predominantly but in a way that you, i mean you could just kind of see the influence of their they're playing on future bands. And I'm thinking of bands like uh, new order. I'm thinking of like Gary Newman bands that kind of became popular and their, their use of that synthesizer sound that I think the cars, I really didn't hear much synthesizer sounds like that before the cars. People, young people, when they hear this, they're not going to understand how new these synthesizer sounds are because yeah. everybody started doing it after the cars. They didn't You're do it well like the cars did no you're right they are gonna try so yeah i was gonna i was gonna say jam when uh when you start throwing some of the bands that they were influenced by uh, it, it makes me wonder if we should be thankful or angry <laughs> <laughs> you mean the ones that yeah influenced. yeah the yeah. ones he mentioned you know yeah, yeah. Uh, i mean it, it's hard to to i don't know like you were saying i don't know if anybody ever used synthesizers quite to as well as as the cars did, even like even their later stuff, I thought their use of synthesizers was was pretty cool. Seems like they were restrained, which other people later weren't. But everything is restrained in this band. But it's it, the synthesizers yeah. are restrained, but absolutely integral to the sound. I That's mean, right. the cars are not the cars without those synths. That's um, right. They're using it because they can, not because they have to. Tony. Tell us about how we got from no cars to the cars. Well, uh, Rick Ocasek and Benjamin Orr been, were friends for a long time before this debut came out. They met in they they met in Ohio. Who are those guys? Oh, the the uh, lead singer, rhythm guitarist, uh, and lead songwriter Rick Ocasek, and the bass player, also co-lead singer Benjamin Orr. Uh, were both I mean they were friends for a long time they met in the in the in the mid to late 60s in Ohio um they were playing local bands around town and they evidently became friends because they kept their bands kept getting booked on the same gig so they got to know each other um and they started hanging out and playing together they played as a duo in in Columbus Ohio before they moved to Boston in the early 70s when they were in Boston they formed a band called Milkwood uh, that w with a lead guitarist by the name of jo Joss Goodkind, and Milkwood was essentially a folk band that was very heavily influenced by their own admission by Crosby, Stills and Nash, your your favorite guy, Crosby. Um, and it could, it could <laughs> that would not be otherwise known to music critics as Stephen Stills and his backup singers, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, and it couldn't be further from the sound that the cars ended up with. Um, the, the funny thing was Milkwood actually released an album in 1973 called How's the Weather. It absolutely failed to chart. It it 
it tanked. Uh, it's it, when you listen to it, it's just it's just funny because it sounds you would never guess it was the Cars. The vocals, I mean, the lead vocals are you can tell if you know who it is, but it, you can if you didn't know who it is. Or, and there's this great photo of them on the album where Rico Kasich's got long hair and a, and a <laughs> handlebar mustache. <laughs> I, Benjamin Orr looks relatively the same, actually. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, that reminds but, me of Jerry Jeff Walker in uh, Circus Maximus listening yeah. to him in those early records. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what's what's really kind of uh, a, an interesting little footnote is that there are a lot of supporting musicians on that album, including Greg Hawks, but he played saxophone and not keyboard on it. Huh. So another funny thing is the band, uh, Benjamin Orr, Rick, Rick Ocasek evidently disowned that album in the future. There's this apocryphal story online claiming that some guy went up to Rick Ocasek to get him to sign it. And he, Rick Ocasek took it and threw it in the nearest garbage can. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know if that's true or not, but, um, just before the cars, they had a couple of other incarnations. They're in a band called cat and swing another band called Richard and the rabbits. And, and Greg Hawks is part of that Richard and the rabbits band. And then they met uh, guitarist uh, Elliot Easton, who um, I, I believe went to the Berkeley School of Music, which is uh, the largest yeah. independent college, contemporary music college in the world. So did and um, they, Hawks. I think he went, to, he went there as well. Oh, OK. Well, that I didn't know, but I knew Elliot Easton did. Um, and then um, and then David Robinson uh, joined later. He's the drummer. Um, well, that that helped that helped explain a. A big question is, why do the cars sound like such a finished product on their first album? I think about oh, other people's first albums. You can hear them. They got good talent. They have good songwriting, maybe. But you can hear them struggling to find their voice. The cars start out like this is our seventh album. Yeah. Yeah. And they, and they had recorded a demo that actually got airplay. Um, which yeah. got them in, got got them interest from Electra and um, Arista Records. Both came knocking on the door because just what I needed and my best friend's girl were both played fairly often on local Boston radio stations. That's the first time I have ever heard a DJ mentioned in a Hall of Fame induction. Her name was Max Ann Sartori, and well, uh, all those well, years later, they're still thankful to her. So Jam, you, you who's, who's playing in this band? Okay, so you've got, uh, we've mentioned Greg Hawks, we've mentioned uh, Elliot Easton, we've mentioned the two principal uh, singers, and Rick Ocasek, the principal songwriter. I think Greg Hawks wrote um, some of the, or co-wrote some of the stuff. And then you have a guy by the name of David Robinson. He's the drummer. And he was probably the most seasoned of the band members. He was in a band called the Modern Lovers. And if you're not familiar with the Modern Lovers, they uh, were kind of it's one of those bands that had more influence than they actually had hits. They're, they uh, was fronted, they were fronted by a guy by the name of Jonathan Richmond. And if you ever see that movie, Something About Mary, he does a lot of the, the interlude songs in between scenes. And so he was kind of a fixture, I believe, in the Boston area at this time. And he never really got the um, the acclaim uh, from the fans or from the record companies that he, he probably should have. So, uh, just some stellar musicians came out of this band. Among them um, was Jerry Harrison, who went on to play with um, the Talking Heads. He was actually going to Harvard at the time, and he kind of stopped playing in the band to, to finish his degree. And then you also had, um, uh, for a while, John Cale of the Velvet Underground played in there. And so these guys were producing hits like, uh, well, not hits, but songs that uh, were covered well by other tracks. bands, like Iggy Pop, well-known tracks, like Pablo Picasso. Uh, Roadrunner. Road yeah. Yes. Um, so... The, the, but the drummer in this band, who the original drummer, and I think he left for a little while and came back, was uh, David Robinson. And he was uh, one of the reasons uh, I've read. He was one of the people they thought was one of the reasons why the band was even uh, that uh, Jonathan Richmond just really loved him. And when he left, that was part of the, the uh, destruction of, of the original band. And after that... Um, it became known as 
Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers. Well, let, real quick, let's talk about. I just want to make a, a side side note about the label. So you know they got they got bites from both Electra and Arista, and the reason supposedly they signed with Electra was because Arista had plenty of quote unquote new wave acts already, and they wouldn't stand out. Electra had the Eagles and Jackson Brown, so the Cars definitely, definitely stand out stand of that. Up. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then they recorded this in London with uh with a guy, a fellow by the name of Roy Thomas Baker was the producer. And that's and he, not a small deal. No, it's nope, not a small not. deal. <laughs> he'd done he'd done records for Electra before. He had done uh Queen, I believe was it what Night of the Opera? Is that where he started? He did the first yeah. I think he did the first four albums of theirs. I mean yeah. he is he is. So, I yeah. could be wrong about that, but I think he is. He's instrumental in their in their sound in their vocal sound. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah. <laughs> when you say you're instrumental in Queen's vocal sound, <laughs> that's almost the same as saying you're instrumental in Queen's sound. They do yeah. have a very unique guitar sound, but the vocals uh, nobody had trod, trod on that ground before. Yeah. So that's one of his kind of um, his signatures. Like if you listen to any song that he's uh, or any album that he's produced i'm thinking of fans like even tr- cheap trick they, he just loves stacking vocals on top of each other yeah and i've and even heard- you guys are giving them short shrift there's a lot of bands we didn't mention that we've got to we got to fill in the rest yeah i think i think and i think it puts it into context how odd it is that he was the producer on this debut album i mean you've got foreigner journey nazareth free hawkwind and as you said <laughs> queen yeah uh you know yeah. So and I guess they yeah, don't have to say who free is anymore. No. Yeah. Well, um, so the, the, his probably crowning achievement was, was coming up with the idea of how they were going to stack all those vocals on uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. And the the story goes that on Bohemian Rhapsody that you could actually see through the tape uh, because oh, of the wow. vocal, because he had stacked the vocals on it. So uh, <laughs> that's funny. They, <laughs> I uh, I read an interview with him and there's a kind of a neat quote about he he brings up Queen in reference to the cars. And he said that in comparing the two of them, he said, when the harmony vocals come in, uh, there are so many vocals. There are as many vocals as there are on a Queen album when they come in on the cars album. But the difference is that when they come in, they come in and then they're gone. It's like a flash, you know, and yeah. uh, and it's huge. And then it's gone back to sparse again. Um, and he was, he said he was able to do that with this because of everything he'd done with queen. Uh, he has a great quote about the cars. He said they came around at, at right at the right time when rock and roll needed a little freshening up. They, uh, the, the car sound, it's, it's impossible to understand now how fresh and new that sound was. It, it was out of nowhere. Um, and yeah immediately embraced it was it was very popular even though nobody really knew what was going on so let's go through these tracks uh no this is going to sound like a greatest hits album but i assure you we do not do greatest hits albums on this is vinyl tap the first song uh sung by rick it is let the good times roll was the uh with the third single on the album it was released in 79 it reached number 41 on the hot 100 i have uh, it as the fourth single but i may be in there this is a great song it's a fantastic song <laughs> um let me ask you all if you if you agree with this one of the things i love about the cars is how they start their songs they have yep. the bettest uh, the bettest they have the best song starts of anybody. And uh, Jam's going to have a hell of a time picking out the one to put down on the introduction because they're uh, so attractive. It's so funny that you say that because I'd never thought about that before. But you're absolutely 100% right. There's not another band that that grabs you the way the cars do when they start their songs off. Their intros are fantastic. And all it is is just that uh, guitar and that syndrome. Boom. That making that uh, 
hot sound. It's like a guitar's laying it down and the drums taking it away on this intro. (laughs) I I promise you, if they made two minutes of car intros, I would sit there and listen to it. I absolutely (laughs) love it. This this is a simple uh, song. The arrangement is absolutely not simple, and we're going to have that recurring theme. I, I told JM earlier, I said, you know, one of the things I love about this band is you have these complex arrangements that sound like a high school band could play it. That's how simple <laughs> it sounds. If the high school band tried to play this, you would notice immediately <laughs> there was a problem. But Oh, and by the way, trust me, I was in a high school band that tried to play this. And it's, <laughs> it's just not. Yeah. Because what you think about is that dum, 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 dum. Yeah. But there's so yeah. much going on behind the scenes. It's fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the next song, uh, My Best Friend's Girl. song that brought me into the cars i remember this is the the first album that i bought by the cars was candio i have absolutely no idea why but for some reason and this was one of the first album cover but i i loved that um that album i just thought i thought it was fantastic and so i i went out and um off the strength of that album i went and bought the the car's first album and i heard best friends girl i said what why was I less? What's so, this PDO crap? I never listened to it again after that. So um, I I can honestly say this is my favorite song in the album. One of my all time favorite songs ever. If the Cars had done nothing else but record this song, I would I I would love them for it. This song is quite possibly the perfect song. I love this song. But you'll agree with me when I say that it's. One of those songs where the tune and the subject matter are in strange contrast with one another. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. When when my best friend steals my woman, I don't go. Well, <laughs> you know, I hear you. I hear you. And, and, and we talked about that before we started. The interesting thing about the song and because we've all heard it so many times before, you know, we don't really think about it. You, you just naturally assume that it was that it's it's just straightforward about uh, his best friend stealing his girl but when he wrote it he he contemplated it being kind of a twist where you think he's describing a girl he's longing for um and that it's his best friend's girl but then he's got that and she used to be mine little twist on it the first time you hear it if you'd never heard it before maybe you get it but we've heard it so many times it's that's lost on us but yeah the hand claps the little beatly rockabilly guitar in it Everything about this song, it is, this song is a perfect, and I'm going to use that term again, a perfect power pop song. This, I I can't, I mean, I I can't stop gushing about this song. And, and if you want, if you want something also amazing, watch them play this live on the, um, what is it? The whistle stop or whatever. Um, Old green whistle stop. Old green whistle stop. That band looks as cool as any band on the planet playing this song. Yeah. Speaking of cool. Um, they get. They have. Um, this is where I'm going to talk about the guitar player, um, Elliot Easton. Underrated. He, underrated. Very underrated. It has to be the most underrated guitar player. He. There. I get on my hobby horse more about flashy guitar players like Eddie Van Halen, and I'm sorry, Tony, but your cat from last week. Um, <laughs> they play these things with. And all the little finger deals going on. And this guy doesn't touch that stuff. His his guitar playing is connected intimately with the melody. You cannot separate it from the song. It does not interfere with the song. It doesn't do a dance on the song. It is part of the song. And the little rockabilly number he lays down um on this song yeah. is so if i if you listen to it in isolation i heard him play it on a 
he played it originally on a Fender Telecaster with uh, everything cranked up for maximum twang. If you heard it by itself, you would think that someone just lifted that from a Buddy Holly song. It is so interesting. And then it plops down into this song and works absolutely perfectly. Guy was the master of the fill. I mean, and absolutely. It's not, it's, it's while the band's playing, he's constantly playing along with the band with counter melodies or something yeah. that supports the melody. Yeah. It is, I would love to have uh, a, a copy of this album where you turn up his guitar and, and can just focus on what he's doing the entire time. He's such an appropriate guitar player. He's so mm-hmm. underrated, as you said. Uh, he's, he makes me feel justified for all the uh, trash talk I've yeah. ever given guitar players my whole life. He almost does like a walking bass line in the guitar part. You ever listen to that? Like it I was, except the only difference is with with sometimes triplets and multiple, uh, yeah, multiple yeah. notes. Like a bass player would find it difficult to do. Yeah, yeah. Or this is one of those. This is one of those. One of those songs I never, ever, ever get sick of. If someone threw me on a desert island and said, "You got to listen to this the rest of your life," I'd be okay. This yeah, is so much like Boston in that way. Um, I, I feel like this album and the Boston album we we went over are so similar in so many ways. You're both right. Because, both yeah. albums you can't get sick of. Um, and, and and songs on them where that weren't the big hits that you think, how is this not a big hit? Or the fact that there's so that got so much airplay and so many of the songs were so great. And you know? songs we've been hearing our whole life, uh, 40 years of hearing these songs over and over again. And I'm I mean, not tired of them yet, like I am in, most other bands of this era it, that were that it, popular. In a way, it's kind of funny because, you know, our whole premise is taking a deep dive in the album. But when you're talking about an album like this, I mean, it's... It's not hard. It's, it's not, not hard a, it's at all. Not work. <laughs> yeah, I told I told you when we decided to do this. I think I texted you guys and said I haven't had this much fun listening to an yeah. album we were talking about since since we've been doing this. This is just, this was a just a great. Thanks. These three these three run like it's so much like a greatest hits album. The next song, just what I needed. I did not realize, stupidly, I guess, you guys probably have known this forever, about the connection to Yummy, Yummy, Yummy by the Ohio Express. <laughs> I did not know. I still I don't. did not know that at all. I won't know until <laughs> the, you tell The opening riff of this song is uh, is borrowed from the opening riff of Yummy, Yummy, Yummy. Yeah. It is uh, well documented that it was it was based on that opening riff of, of one of the you greatest those, one of the greatest bubblegum pop songs ever written. Yummy, yummy, yeah. yummy. Is, is this I got yeah. love in my tummy and I feel like yep. loving you? Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That would be non-power pop, I believe. No, it's bubblegum <laughs> pop, but it's it's the it's the it's part of the bedrock <laughs> of all that stuff. <laughs> the um, um, this opening's fantastic. And I know and, the way that it, that double uh, the drums are amazing on it, and it's just, not the intro itself. Yeah, not predictable at all. I dare you just to like when I was a kid, just trying to figure out, okay, where's that double part gonna the, the double? Oh yeah, yeah. Dot. You'd always miss it. The dun, dun, come in. You don't yeah. know where that's gonna come in. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and of course, it's again, ben, simple complexity. Benjamin yeah. Orr sings lead on this, and I would hazard to guess that none of us knew that until we were much older than we were when we first heard this song. <laughs> it's amazing how it's amazing how much these two guys sound alike. And and yeah. Rick Ocasek said that it's probably because they've been playing together since the '60s. They just yeah. developed each other's yeah. singing style. Um, 
it, it's it's interesting the this out al- this album is kind of a, a a mirror of each other so on the first side all of the songs but one are sung by Rick Ocasek and on the on the second side all the songs are sung by Benjamin Orr except for one which is sung by Rick Ocasek but and this was their first single right hit number 24 um on Cashbox and number 27 on the Billboard Top 100 and, and this is the one that was getting the airplay before there was an album right um, right and it's it's no no genius to figure out this is a great song uh yeah and uh, on Benjamin Orr, in my mind, is an exceptional singer. Uh, I think Rick Rick Ocasek is a uh, okay singer, and <laughs> I think it's kind of amazing that Benjamin Orr did not. He's also the better looking of the two. Uh, <laughs> oh, that I don't know about that. I mean, he's he's he's. I mean, Rick Ocasek uh, got Paulina Porskovich. Of of the two of them. Uh, I wanted to grow up to be Rick Ocasek and not Benjamin Orr. So, well, I, I failed. I, I failed at both. But <laughs> I, I, I remember for me, the songwriters, the songwriters, the boss of a band in my mind. I think I think it's pretty impressive, though. I mean, Rick Ocasek could have pulled all the lyrics off of this if he wanted to, but he split the duty with Benjamin Orr, and I think he I think he knew that they had something there by the fact that they were switching off vocals. I mean, it works so well for this. It band. did work, and I don't understand that because I would have said. Rick, I think Benjamin might want to sing this one. <laughs> All I know is I wanted to kick Benjamin Orr's ass when I saw the when I bought the album. And his, his pouty little look on the the is the sleeve. Man, you don't know what chicks like. They like that disturbed, complicated look. I know. I was just well. That's, again, growing up in West Texas, I nobody put up with that there. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get your little disturbed ass kicked. <laughs> uh-huh. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we don't uh, we don't support uh, kicking disturbed <laughs> children's asses. Uh, in touch with your world. This to me is Spike Jones meets New Wave. I mean, exactly. Spike Jones meets New Wave. That's the best description. I I mean, it's 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 a bizarre song, and I feel I feel I feel about this song very very much the way I feel about um about this uh what is the song on the first side of Hunky Dory? Kooks? Was it Freaks? Oh, Kooks. Yeah, Kooks. Oh, it just, yeah, I remember just, going on scre- Kooks. Yeah, it just kind of screeches to the halt. This doesn't quite screech to that halt, but it definitely, If can you imagine if the sequencing had been slightly different and you pull Bye Bye Love or something off of the second side and put it on this side? It, this would be the single greatest side of any rock and roll album It would have ever. been a freight train. No one could have yeah. stopped yeah. it. You wouldn't even have to turn the album over. It would have enough momentum to, say, to turn its own self over. Everybody thought it was an EP. I mean, it's, yeah. it's it's definitely them dabbling in that kind of uh, experimental side of the new wave, if you will. But it, I I don't know. It's it's I, I don't. Gonna say, I, I think it was Roy Thomas Baker going. What kind of sounds can you coax out of that thing to polish this turd? And uh, I thought he did a pretty good job of. I I think this is what happens when sound effects are too readily uh, available. <laughs> <laughs> but doesn't it sound like it could be in a Looney Tunes cartoon or something? Mm-hmm. It does. It does. It's Except like Looney Tunes Scott. got a lot of good jazz. They probably wouldn't have put up with this. That's true. It's like that. Uh, Raymond Scott did all that. It sounds like a Raymond Scott song if he had access to synthesizers and didn't have to make all that stuff up himself. All right. Then we, we pick it up again and we get moving again with Don't Cha Stop. Can I ask you the question that you have asked in the past? I, I don't know how. I mean, how is this not a hit? I think this song, this song is easily a hit for a lesser band, especially around this time. Yeah, I'll yeah, give it you. Know, uh, if I had to read to figure out which of these songs were hits and which ones weren't, because 
in my mind, they all could be hits. And in my mind, I've heard them all enough for them. I've, I've heard them enough without outside of my own volition for them to all be hits. This, this sounds the most straightforward of any song on this album, though. Um, it sounds the most sort of um, it, it's not. I mean, it's a car song, but not in the way any of the other songs are on it. It's it's much more kind of a, a straightforward, um, you know, late 70s kind of uh new wave pop song i guess and like, yeah. like i said a lesser band this would have been if not a big hit a minor hit at least and something they were known for I, the this guitar solo this i think it's my favorite guitar solo on the album great it's guitar work great, great yeah it's, great. it's a great song well yeah. you know when one of the things when i listen to this whole album i think they don't ever speed up let the good times troll is the best example Bottom, 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 bottom. I mean, I would think that any other band in the other world would have gone. Would would have picked it up, but they don't. They refuse to do it, and it works fantastic. Don't you stop? Is the first time they really get moving, and uh, that's a good point. Yeah, almost, uh, almost sorry. Double time. Yeah. Well, especially after the song that came before it. Mm Mm-hmm. It's almost like you're trying to remind you that, hey, you know, we can be tuneful. Yep. Here we are again. Yep. Someone had to go to the bathroom, so we, <laughs> we did special effects while they were in the bathroom. Okay, so we flip over, and as all seasoned vinyl listeners know, we're on number one on side two, and that means we've got a hit. What is, is that? Another, you're all I've got tonight. You're all I've but got. But there's another tonight. one that starts. It starts off with those drums, and it's got those. Um, another great opening. Yeah. yeah. But, but and got the the uh, phase on the drums, and I think there's some syndromes going on in there as well. It's just a, a cornucopia of percussion that starts this song. And I can't very podcast where people say cornucopia. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, this is Cecilia Nasty. <laughs> um, well, this is, uh, this, is, uh, this is the only song on the second side that Rick Ocasek sings on, right? It is. Ben- Benjamin Orr sings on it. I mean, have y'all tried this with any chicks? <laughs> <laughs> You're all I've got tonight. I need you. <laughs> oh. That's <laughs> <not> creepy. <laughs> Nor is it. I mean, it's also not very complimentary either. No. <laughs> You're it's all I've got tonight. <laughs> this is the closest that they ever came to. Uh, I want to say fusion, but I don't know if that's right. But there is that breakdown in the middle where you have that synthesizer doing that staccato thing, and then you have. Uh, Elliot Easton just kind of going nuts on the guitar during that part. And you're just like, it, it, I mean, my my guess is left in lesser hands. That could have gone on for probably 10 minutes if they were ever out of, you know. Or if Yes covers it. If Yes covers it, yeah. Or if it was a chat, like John Coltrane got hold of it, it turned into a 30-minute. Yeah, but it'd be great 30-minute. <laughs> anyway, um that I think this is the most uh, Rick Ocasek sounding singing of all of his, with his voice doing the thing. I love that, that uh, stuff. I know that's yeah. what turned in. That's everybody in uh, New Wave ended up making that same kind of noise, and I don't know what to call it. I, sometimes I think it's Americans trying to sound British. Sometimes I don't know what it is. But Jam and I were talking about it, and. I, I think I remember who did it first. Who's Buddy that? Holly. Ah. One of That's my favorites. Great, and a Texan. Yep. <laughs> Which makes us excellent. All right, next comes Bye Bye Love. Just a broken alibi.
love love this song. This this is probably my, my second, second favorite. This is the oldest song. This is the oldest song. One of the oldest car songs um, on the album. This song, really? believe it or not, yeah. Um, and of and course, this is you where know, you can really tell it's or singing, in my opinion. Yeah. No, his voice sounds great on it. Fantastic. I like the the, the interplay between the guitar and the uh, keyboards. Yep. And that. The, the keyboard does yeah, another great opening with that. Uh, fantastic opening, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. But the keyboard comes into its own on this one and really that, takes off. That opening, yeah. when you think about it, that opening sounds so much bigger than it is, too. You know? Yeah. yeah. It sounds epic yeah. for such a for such a non-epic song in a way. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Moving in stereo. Another very good song. I think it's weird that Okasik didn't sing this one. Well, he but, did on the um, de- he did on the demo, and I don't know why they switched. Uh, there's a demo version of him singing it. It sounds so much like a song he would sing, and yep. uh, it yeah. became famous not necessarily because it ended up on this <laughs> record, but I'm told that it was famous from a movie, and um, I spent my youth watching. Uh, wholesome programs and reading books so i may not know uh do you fellas know what these people are talking about when they talk about the movie i was a good catholic boy so we'll have jm you're in a methodist they get away with everything yeah, I, I, I was a methodist kid a methodist preacher's kid and so I you had to in, rebel i had to rebel so i went in and snuck into fast times at regiment high and it was uh became fascinated by this song because of that movie and that scene with bb cates i'd never really given it the time of day beforehand it was one of those songs that i oh, okay this the album's over now <laughs> so it's, it's uh, bb cates she she had an extremely uh, powerful uh, mm-hmm. uh emotional role uh which is particularly good at her lines or what what was the memorable thing jm <laughs> I challenge anyone to listen to this song that has seen the movie to not think of the famous scene uh, with someone talking about how cute Brad is, especially when you're a nerdy bass player like I I was at that time. Going, hey, um, you know, Roy <laughs> Thomas Baker produced a soundtrack. That's probably because all the songs on it are probably songs he did, but he's yeah. he's listed as producer. Um, you know, uh, going just going back real quick to just what I needed. I'm sure you guys are familiar with the song "Stacy's Mom" by Fountains of Wayne, which is uh, uh, oh no, it's an homage to that. And in the video, they they do an homage to that scene in Fast Times um, as well. So they they were obviously Cars fans. Yes. Well, I may need to watch that movie. As long as y'all can assure me there's no uh, drug usage. There is um, no drug usage in it. Good. There is uh, other stuff that's not wholesome. <laughs> now, uh, number four on side two is my favorite song on the album, All Mixed Up. All mixed up. sounding songs on this album maybe is this really um, your favorite song you on the album? Really oh i love this song, yeah. i love this song this i love song, his voice this song is the most queen like to me in a lot of ways it's, it's almost as a producer yeah he couldn't help himself it's yeah. almost like he could have put a string section in there that that section that part about just leave it to me it'll be all right oh, i love that part yeah, yeah. you know it's this, a great part the, uh, it's a, yeah is that a bridge that's a wonderful bridge it is a I might bridge. put that on my list of uh, top ten bridges of all times. 
So this song was often paired with, I mean, really easy. It was often paired with moving in stereo when they played it on the radio and those uh, AOR stations, they would just play them together. You know, uh, the keyboardist, uh, um, plays, uh, yeah, he plays the saxophone on this song. It's the, I think the only time, I think it's the only time, uh, there's the only time there's a sax solo in a car song and he plays it. Well, it's a, it's, it's a beautiful song. Um, unlike, unlike my partners on this program, I'm a highly sensitive person that, that appreciates, uh, the more the more sensitive emotions and that's probably why they don't like it that's they're too busy watching fast times at richmond high the exploitation of women while i'm suffering through love <laughs> lord you sound all mixed up <laughs> yeah i um i guess i'm just deep that way anyway yeah, you're deep all right <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to the end of a fantastic album uh I remember buying this record thinking I was listening to hardcore punk rock. That's what I did, too. I thought I was going out. <laughs> well, you, guys, you guys have got to remember, I'm a slightly younger than you. Yeah. So I got, I, I mean, while I'd heard this stuff on the radio, I didn't really get into the cars until um, until Heartbeat City came out in, what, 84? Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, I knew them, but that was the first Cars album I bought. Um, so it was a pleasure going back and discovering what came before that. Well, do we? We also, I think, need to touch on the the uh, ultimate uh, Cars tribute act. Oh, you're right. The Cars <laughs> did not last forever, and at one point, the Cars broke up. But not everybody was ready to quit being a car, and no. something very odd happened. Yeah, in 2005, Elliot Easton and and, uh, and uh, Hawks. Um, went it toured with todd rundgren as the new cars which they performed classic car songs and a few todd rundgren songs which i imagine people who went to see the cars didn't really care to hear any todd rundgren songs but uh i guess they played a little bit of new material as well but i mean come on let's face it for all intents and purposes this was a this was essentially a, a high a high profile cars tribute act i don't know yeah. how, i don't know how you get on the road with neither of the guys who sang lead on these songs and pull and, and pass it off as the cars, you know, yeah. it's, um, you have to have that belief in oneself that Todd Rundgren has, <laughs> which <laughs> yes, he, he, it's got, it's gotten him that, through a lot. He's got, I mean, yeah. he's remarkable. He's, we could go yeah, on all night about yeah. Todd Rundgren, but the fact that he said, hey, let me go put this broken band back together instead of saying, hey, let me go do my own new thing is <laughs> I don't understand any of that. It's not well, like he was a burned out. It's not like it's Neil Sedaka trying to find something to do. Well, gentlemen, we've done another album with two dead guys on it, which means we need to do something for the young people out there. That's why we turn to you, Tony. Tony, what do you have for the kids tonight? I am very happy to talk about a band. It's a local band, Austin band, um, called Night Sobs. That is a surprise, surprise, skinny tie power pop band. Um, <laughs> they they have their origins in a pop punk band um, that uh, has been around for a while called the Capitalist Kids. Uh, but the, the uh, bassist slash lead singer, main songwriter decided to break off and form a band called night sobs where he was indulging in his love of 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 just power pop and uh, this album I've listened to this album. It was released last March, and I've listened to it more than any album I listened to at all last year in 2020. Really? It is, oh yeah, it's one of my favorite albums. There is not a song on this album longer than two and a half minutes. Um, wow! It it is it just it's 13 songs of just pure pop bliss. Um, you know, the first song, Aftermath, has hand claps in it, which is always something I love. Anytime I hear a hand clap on a song, I love it. So that explains, you know, my love for my best friend's girl. And then, uh, you know, it's this the lyrics are clever. Uh, the song, there's a, the song that closes out the album, Victoria, is just a fantastic 
just fantastic minute and a half of music. Um, highly, highly, highly recommended. Uh, I would, I, you know, if I could buy this for everybody and give it to them, I would, but I suggest you go out and support <laughs> these guys. Cause it's amazing. Night sobs, N I T E S O B S. And the name of the album is doing the sob. And it's got this classic cover of this girl doing a little dance thing on it. Um, <laughs> and it is, it is the epitome of skinny tie power pop. It's, it's great. All right, so you, you fans of the knack might like that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. That's it for tonight's show, where we took a look at the debut album by the Cars, a classic, any standard. Next week, we'll be looking at an album by a hippie group that made a classic country album, Sweetheart of the Rodeo by the Birds. We're on Facebook. Look us up there. We're also on Twitter at Tapping Vinyl. Also, you can email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. Leave us a note. Leave us a review. Tell us what albums you'd like for us to look at in an upcoming podcast. And if you know anyone that likes music or the album format, be sure and let them know about this podcast. We'd love to hear from them, and we'd love to have new listeners. So for our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, and this is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11. And always know, we want to look into your blue suede eyes. 